On this Thanksgiving weekend, we go back to the archives in episode 22, released on the 12th of May of this year, in my interview with Dr. Frank Mitlerner. Are cows the source for climate change? Take this bull by the horns and tell the world nobody cares more about the sustainability of our lands, of our animals, and of our business than we do. It's a hot topic, and today we look at the science from Dr. Frank Mitlerner from UC Davis of whether or not ranching is hurting our climate on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. It's the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and we welcome you here on this Thanksgiving weekend. This is episode 49, and if you're joining us on Rural Radio Channel 147, Sirius XM, we thank you for tuning in right here every Saturday and Sunday at 12 noon Eastern. And for those of you that like to download and listen through the podcast, well, thanks for doing it that way as well. And if you've never done it that way, well, it's pretty easy if you just find pretty much any podcast provider out there and search under Working Ranch radio show you will find us and like i said today's episode is episode 49 well before we get into what we're going to be talking about on our program today i want to share with you something this was a post that actually uh annie allen larson who is the commercial advertising rep for working ranch magazine uh shared with me a post actually uh it was a post from a mutual friend of ours on facebook toby abel that ranches up in uh oh kind of in the heisham forsyth area if i remember right in that in that area he was on my horse sale committee when I was the general manager and CEO for the Nile Stock Show. But anyways, he shared a post back on the 1st of October, and you got to take it and kind of put it into light in the fact that this is coming uh, at the kind of the end of the summer when things have been pretty brutally tough summer for a lot of ranchers in drought areas. And I just wanted to share with you this post on this Thanksgiving weekend because I, I think it brings into light something that's that's what this whole weekend is, is about. And here's how the post goes. It says, this life is rough and unpredictable and can be demoralizing. We shipped our steers today. They actually came in over contract weight, which would be pretty cool if we weren't almost 100 pounds behind where we were two years ago. Cows pregged about like we expected. Young ones and old ones didn't breed great. This isn't a sob story, though. We had a great group of friends and neighbors helping today. My kids worked all day like adults. My wife picked up the slack like she always does. My mom made a great meal, and we all enjoyed a great visit and maybe a drink or two. We can keep the bankers at bay another year and keep enjoying this life that despite all the hardships, we are so blessed to live. Green grass, heavy calves, and good breed-up are fantastic, but the people we surround ourselves with, you can't put a value on that. A post by Toby Abel, a friend of mine on Facebook. Appreciate those thoughts, Toby, and I'll tell you what, I don't need to say any more than what your words said and appreciate that post. Well, as we turn now towards our program today, as I said at the top of the program, we're going to be going back to the archives and pulling up an interview that I had with Dr. Frank Mitlerner out of UC Davis as he talks on Are Cows the Source for Climate Change? You know, it's a hot topic and there's some information in here that I think is is very relevant no matter when you hear it and it'll be very useful for those of us in livestock agriculture that always seem like we kind of come in the crosshairs when they start talking about climate change. It seems like agriculture is the easy target and you're going to 
to hear some things today that actually are contrary to maybe what we hear on uh, the media out there just in general. Also, the Captain Tim O'Byrne will be by with this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. And meteorologist Don Day will join us in our very last segment as we try to determine what does the month of December hold for us in terms of weather. Right now, a big thank you to our sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Simmental Association, Profit Through Science. Find out more at Simmental.org. Biozyme, keep them on your program with ours. Gain Smart by Biozyme. Performance Beef, find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. And Hargrove Ranch Insurance, providing pasture range and forage insurance to ranchers across the nation. Give them a call at 325-573-8975. Now it's time to check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. Hope you're having a great Thanksgiving weekend with your families. I know we got a lot to be thankful for here in the United States. One of the things I'm most grateful for is you folks out there every single day taking care of the livestock and the crops and making sure that the grocery store shelves are uh, stocked. And that goes for you good truckers out there as well. We need you. And we appreciate you a lot. Now, go to our Facebook page, Working Ranch Mag, Washington State Department of Agriculture. I I did a share there. If your farm or livestock operation has been damaged by the recent flooding. Now, folks, the Pacific Northwest is having a big wreck up there right now. All the roads are out, all the major highways, all the railroad tracks and bridges. Everything's gone because of that big um, atmospheric river that occurred here in the last week. Now, uh, Don Day and Justin, I want you guys to maybe uh, drill down into that atmospheric river thing. That's something new we haven't heard of before. And uh, it it was a pretty bad deal. So um, they're saying be sure to track and document any losses you've suffered. Some federal relief programs may be able to help through the USDA Farm Services Agency, FSA, has offices statewide, and that goes for, uh, there's also help available for our neighbors up there in British Columbia who are hit really hard. Um, Check out uh, the resources up there. I've always been, Justin, always been a great fan of tapping into those federal resources that are available. They're for you guys, and that money is right there, and there's nothing wrong with going to get some of it. It belongs to you. Go get you some. This is Tim O'Byrne, and this is my two cents. Hoping you had a great Thanksgiving. All right. Well, thanks, Captain. And speaking of the Captain, you know, he and I and everyone with Working Ranch Magazine, Working Ranch Radio Show will be down in Las Vegas here just coming up shortly. Working Ranch Expo is going to be held December 8th, 9th, and 10th in Las Vegas during the National Finals Rodeo. And uh, I'm going to be there as we've been talking about. The captain will be there as well. And we have a good list of speakers as well. In fact, I'll tell you what, go to WorkingRanchExpo.com. You will find the list there of all of our speakers that we're going to have. A good trade show there as well. Be sure to stop by the Beringer Ingelheim booth of 241 that will be there. Meet Dr. Joe Gillespie. Also, Lamar Steiger, who I have had on our program here when we talked about the Walmart beef supply chain. He will be there also. Also as a speaker there as well. So 
Just a lot of activities, a lot of things going on during this first inaugural Working Ranch Expo, December 8th, 9th, and 10th in Las Vegas. We look forward to seeing you there for that. By the way, be there first every morning because I hear tell they're going to be giving away something to the first of the folks that come in each of those three days. So if you want to find out what that is, well... Just meet meet us there in Las Vegas and you'll find out. Well, stay with us. Coming up next, we have our interview with Dr. Frank Mitlerner on Are Cows the Source for Climate Change? You're going to find out what all that means when we come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. Cattle producers, here's a way to put more dollars in your pocket. Put the Amifirm advantage found in all Gain Smart Mineral to work in your cow herd. Amifirm is the industry leader in increasing fiber digestion. In fact, research shows putting Amifirm to work increases forage utilization by 10%, reducing overall forage costs and allowing you to graze more animals per acre. That's a big time return on your investment. To find which Gain Smart Mineral formula is right for your heard visit gainsmart.com welcome back to the working ranch radio show here on rural radio channel 147 sirius xm i'm your host justin mills and our topic for this program is on climate change and what animal agriculture has to do with it and to me today's program is a jumping off point in an effort to be more educated and informed about this topic We are past the point on this issue of being real nitpicky within our industry because it's an issue that's blowing up quickly. And if we in our ag industry don't pull together, it's going to blow up our industry. And I'm not trying to be over dramatic here, but it is time to get real on this issue of climate change. So joining me today is Dr. Frank Mitlerner, a professor and air quality specialist in the Department of Animal Science at UC Davis and is also the director of the CLEAR Center, which you'll hear more about later. So Dr. Mitlerner, first of all, thank you for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Oh, you're so welcome. Let's first start from the very beginning, and I know in agriculture there's a lot of skepticism about the topic of climate change and greenhouse gases, and I I think some of it is legitimate because we always feel like we're the target, one of the targets, and having to defend ourselves, and so I think it's a natural inclination to have some skepticism, but let's, let's start with the basics and give us, you know, the 101 on climate change and greenhouse gases. Yeah, so uh, the one thing I can tell you is uh, I understand that people feel threatened and uh, and accused, but uh, that's a separate topic from whether or not climate change exists. Um, you know, because some people use that topic uh, because they feel that they can attack agriculture that way. But um, with respect to climate change itself, does it exist? And my answer is a clear yes, it does. And in agriculture, we feel its uh, its effects um, but let me first explain what this is and why uh, why we're even talking about this. So um, imagine the sun radiating down solar beams to the earth. Okay, so when you when you stand out in the in the sunlight, uh, you feel the warmth on your skin. That's uh, solar radiation coming from the sun onto the onto the surface of the earth. Normally, that solar radiation would be reflected back into space if there weren't these so-called greenhouse gases. These are gases such as carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide. These gases, they pretty much form a blanket, a blanket over our atmosphere. And that blanket traps the heat from the sun 
and keeps it in our atmosphere, which is really important. Without these greenhouse gases, life on Earth would be way too cool. So we need greenhouse gases, but the problem is we now have too many of them. And because human activity, particularly the use of fossil fuel, is producing a lot, particularly of CO2, of carbon dioxide. That stuff builds up in the atmosphere and it traps the heat from the solar radiation. And the more of these gases we put in the air, the more heat we trap, and that leads to global warming. And that's where the problem lies. Now, most climate scientists will tell you, by far the most important source of human activity causing climate change is the use of fossil fuels, oil, coal, and gas. But then there are people, generally those who always had a beef with livestock, um, you know, in the past more related to animal welfare and animal rights and so on. They have changed their stripes, and now they say, oh, no, no, it's all about climate, and livestock is, is pushing the climate to go up, and, um, and hence we need to reduce production and consumption of animal source foods. So to expand a little more on what you just said about those people that have always had a beef with livestock now changing their stripes and focusing on climate, that really, for them, has become quite a successful leveraging tool in their argument against animal agriculture. Oh, absolutely. I have no doubt about that. And uh, in particular, in particular, they use um, methane, one of the greenhouse gases, which is a potent greenhouse gas and which is uh, emitted by livestock, particularly by cattle. But they don't understand the nuances around it. And uh, I hope during this interview we can talk a little bit about methane because that's a very important narrative. It seems like the focus, especially in light of what some of the influencers in our society, those being elected and non-elected, have expressed, and then is being amplified through social media and even mainstream media here in the United States and globally, they've really been targeting animal agriculture as being a major source of greenhouse gases. So what do the numbers say about animal agriculture's effect on our climate? Well, you first have to ask um, globally or in the United States or even regionally within the United States. So that's the first question, okay, because the critics of animal agriculture always cite a global number uh, because the global number is higher than the U.S. number and they use that so that um, U.S. Uh, livestock and ag gets a bad rap. Mm -hmm. um, that's why they use global numbers. In the United States, the EPA is keeping taps on greenhouse gases and they are, of course, producing U.S. numbers. So first of all, what is animal agriculture's impact on climate globally? Globally, it's around 14.5%. So that's one for 14.5% globally. That number is high because in most developing countries, uh, they don't really have a, a significant transportation system and power production and, uh, and all these things that, uh, that are large emission sources, but they have a lot of livestock there. And so in countries like Ethiopia or Paraguay or so, they have way more livestock than people, and hence the livestock sector makes a large, makes up a large portion of their carbon footprint. And because we have so many developing countries, the global average for livestock is high. Contrast the global 14.5 to the U.S. impact of animal agriculture on the total, which is 4%. So in the United States, all livestock, according to the EPA, emit approximately 4% of direct emissions. 80% uh, comes from fossil fuel sources, such as cars, trucks, trains, planes, ships, power plants, and so on. 4% for livestock, okay? Mm -hmm. And approximately half of that is cattle. So um, 
So in the United States, the entire beef sector, for example, which is oftentimes criticized, entire beef sector combined is is anywhere between two to three percent of total greenhouse gas emissions in the country. Let's take a break here. And when we come back, does animal agriculture provide any positive aspect to reducing greenhouse gases? We'll find out after this. It's a competitive calf market, and buyers want calves that will perform, period. And a proven solution is Simmental. In fact, data from the Tri-County Steer Carcass Fertility from 2002 through 2018 on nearly 60,000 head of calves revealed that Simmental sired calves represented the highest carcass-valued sire group over English and other continental breed groups. And the sire group that was the second highest carcass value was Simangus sire. So... The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills, your host, and today my guest is Dr. Frank Mitlerner, a professor and air quality specialist in the Department of Animal Science at UC Davis, and we're talking about climate change in relation to ranching. And Dr. Mitlerner, before the break, you said that animal agriculture in the United States accounts for 4% of greenhouse gases, and 2% of that 4% is attributed to cattle. But what does it look like from a net number perspective? For example, are there things, ranching practices, that can contribute to putting carbon back in the soil, which I believe the term would be called carbon sequestration, but can animal agriculture replenish the carbon supply in the soil? Yeah, so uh, one of the problems and one of the reasons why people in agriculture are not so happy with the current inventories is that the inventories only look for sources, not for sinks. And because methane is largely mischaracterized. And let me explain that. So first of all, a large sink would be carbon sequestration from soils. Okay, Soils have the ability to trap a lot of carbon. Uh, in fact, our soils trap about one-third of all greenhouse gases, so they are a very important sink for greenhouse gases. But soil carbon sequestration is not really um, listed in the emission inventories, and so many farmers wonder, well, why not? And we should we should ask why not. Okay, that's that's one important question. The other very important issue is that within animal agriculture, by far the most important greenhouse gas is methane. Now, methane is different compared to other greenhouse gases, and I need to explain that um, because uh, it's a very important part of the narrative. So it is true that methane is a potent greenhouse gas. It can trap the heat from the sun much better than, let's say, CO2. Okay, So it makes it a potent greenhouse gas, almost, almost 30 times more heat trapping than CO2. Okay, So this is like, uh, if I were to use an analogy, like a styrofoam cup, and a China cup and a Starbucks $20 insulated cup, these three different cup types can all keep your coffee warm, but they do so at different uh, lengths of time, right? The styrofoam cup coffee would cool down the fastest. And the Starbucks $20 insulated cup would keep it warm the longest. So there are differences there. And the same is true for these greenhouse gases. Uh, CO2 is the one that's most abundant. We have the most of that in the atmosphere. Uh, and that's the styrofoam. 
uh, cup analogy and, and methane would be the China cup and then nitrous oxide, even more potent, would be the insulated cup. So um, how are these gases different from one another? Well, CO2 and nitrous oxide are long-lived. That means once they are in the air, they stay there for hundreds or thousands of years. Every time you've ever driven a car, every time you've ever driven a car, you put CO2 into the air and that CO2 is still there. And it stays there for a thousand years. So CO2 and nitrous oxide are only produced, but they are not destroyed. But methane is both produced and destroyed. And that's very important to your listeners because there is what's called a natural atmospheric removal, a removal process by which methane that's in the air gets destroyed. Okay? An atmospheric removal process by which methane gets destroyed. And that destruction rate of methane is almost identical with the production of methane. But currently, this atmospheric removal, this destruction process, is not accounted for. It's not accounted for. Now, think about that. This is like, let me give you an, another, another analogy, okay? So, uh, what's the difference between CO2 and methane, carbon dioxide and methane? Well, imagine a bathtub. And this first bathtub, that's the analogy for CO2, is a bathtub where you have a faucet, but no drain. You have a faucet, but no drain. Every time you open the faucet, water is added to the bathtub and the levels rise. And that's what happens when you burn fossil fuel. Every time we burn fossil fuel, we produce new CO2 and add it to the existing stock. And that is what's driving the climate. Now, how does our methane analogy look like? So this is a bathtub that has both a faucet and it has a drain. And that drain is the atmospheric removal of methane. So now you have a faucet and you have a drain. If you have constant cattle herds, then that's like turning on your faucet, but you have an open drain. And that means at the same rate you add water, you subtract water through the drain. That's what happens with methane if you have constant cattle herds, okay? Constant livestock herds, which we do in the United States. If you increase methane, then that's a problem because then you crank that faucet up all the way and then you add uh, water to the bathtub because more is added than subtracted. But here's something important. If you manage to reduce methane, for example, through mitigation, through feed additives or manure digesters or so, then you add less water to that bathtub than you subtract. And that means now the, the levels go down. And that is what we have been doing in states like California at a very rapid rate. Mm -hmm. And that means we have uh, agriculture as a potential solution provider to our climate issue. What, what's interesting to me is after I listen to your explanation right there, I'm puzzled in, in what I'm going to call, and, and I'm not a scientist and I'm not going to claim to be, but what I would consider to be bad science that continues to pursue the removal of agriculture in our country. You know, in the past, uh, the units that are currently used to quantify methane, they, they were okay. They were all right because methane levels went up. And when methane goes up, then the unit that had been used in the past to characterize methane works. But that same unit does not work when you have constant sources of methane or decreasing sources of methane. Then that unit doesn't work at all because it does not take care. It does not take into consideration that atmospheric removal of this gas. This is like you going to your bank and saying, 
you know, um, I don't believe in budgets anymore. I, I only want you to consider my, my income and not my uh, expenses. You know, the banker would show you the door very quickly. Uh, and that's what's happening here. We are currently in a situation where agriculture, for example, is only um, is only assigned the liability, but not the asset. Okay, and that's just not fair. It's not right, and it needs to change. Mm-hmm. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Frank Mitlerner after the break. And when we come back, we'll talk about what agriculture has done, or, or rather not done, to allow this issue to snowball into a very large issue that now has begun to dominate our society's view on our industry. Animal health is key to your business. So how do you track cattle health treatments? Well, stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs. Performance Beef helps you record processing data, enter costs, and track animal health history all in real time at the shoot. The mobile app also makes it easy to log pasture and pen treatments on the go. Your health data is integrated with feed and financial information in one easy-to-use platform, accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to request a demo. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and thank you for joining us here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. As I'm joined by Dr. Frank Mitlerner, a professor at the Department of Animal Science at UC Davis. And we're going to head now into this conversation of climate change down a road that I think we need to go. And that is for the ag industry, for us as ranchers, to take some responsibility as an industry of what we could do better. So, Dr. Mitlerner, what has agriculture done, or, or rather not done, that's allowed for this negative narrative to be propagated against our industry? So the biggest problem is that um, oftentimes agriculture just does not listen, okay? And I'm, I'm really critical on this because uh, w- if and when there are major societal uh, movements and uh, almost trends, you know, when, when people, you know, 10 years ago, all of a sudden everybody was concerned about animal welfare and animal housing and, and how we treat animals and so on. Uh, when that happens, then agriculture needs to be at the forefront explaining what they do and how they do it and that they care and how they care and so on. And not look the other way and say, come on, leave us alone. We know what we're doing. That's no longer cutting it. The same is true for the climate the, the, the climate discussion right now where many people in agriculture say, you know what? I don't believe in climate change. I have news for you. If society cares about climate change the way they do, then this topic will become your topic because these are your customers, these are your clients. Uh, and and if they if they want to reduce their, their carbon footprint and some extremists, some activists tell them uh, eating is the best way to do it, um, then they will ask questions. Okay? That's just the way it is. So in my opinion, the first and most important thing is you have to listen. You have to understand that your your industry does have a contribution to climate change. Some of it is negative, some of it is positive. Your industry has quantified the impacts. We know what the impacts are. We have quantified it. We have put it in the peer uh, literature. And we have made pledges to further reduce the impacts. And we are way ahead of the curve with respect to, in, in, in comparison to other sectors of society. But um, we need to stop uh, looking the other way or sticking our head in the sand 
and take this bull by the horns and tell the world nobody cares more about the sustainability um, of our lands, of our animals, and of our businesses than we do. Nobody cares more about that than we do. Don't leave the discussion to some activists, but it's your discussion. It's your legacy. And if you don't like the term sustainability, I have news for you. It's just another word for stewardship. Being the best steward of your land, the best steward of your animals, the welfare of your animals, the best steward of land and water and soil, the best steward of the products you produce. I mean, come on. Of course you want to be the best steward of all of this. Some people call it sustainability. You know, if that's what people like to call it, so be it. But you need to show that you care. You need to show that you are protective of your legacy and that you really mean it. In general, what animal agriculture does, and I know in, in every industry there's always bad eggs, but in general, what we do as ranchers, is what we're doing harmful to the climate? No, it's not. Absolutely not. So uh, if you want to stay with ranchers um, in particular, here I can tell you that uh, we have about 750,000 ranchers in the United States. And we have about 1,400 feedlots in the United States. The 750,000 ranches we have, on average, have, have 50 mama cows. And um, the sector is very stable altogether. Um, the amount of methane that your, your animals produce, for example, uh, equals the amount of methane that's destroyed through a process called oxidation. Okay, That's that atmospheric removal that I talked about earlier. If you, if you have cattle and you run them uh, on your ranch, then um, what will happen is that the methane they belch out and the methane that's produced from the manure um, will be in the atmosphere. It will be there for about 10 years and then it will be gone. Okay? It originates, the carbon in that methane originates in atmospheric CO2. Atmospheric CO2, the CO2 that's in the atmosphere, in the air. That CO2 goes into the plants during photosynthesis. So, for example, the grasses that you have on your ranch. And so the grasses take on CO2 from the air, and they make that CO2 carbon into carbohydrates, like cellulose or starch. Then the animals eat that plant material, and with it the carbon that's contained in the carbohydrates. And then they, they convert some of that into methane. And that methane stays in the air for 10 years, and then it's broken back down into CO2. So this is a cyclical event okay, that happens on a, on a ranch. In addition to what I just said, the so-called biogenic carbon cycle, which recycles carbon, in addition to that, uh, cattle do something really important to our soils, which is uh, most ranches are on what's called marginal land. That land cannot be used to grow crops, by and large, not everywhere, but in most, most cases. Uh, on most ranch lands, you cannot uh, really grow crops. Um, and why not? Because it's too stony, too rocky, too hilly, too not fertile enough or not enough water. So if, if you weren't using it the way you do with ruminant animals, then we cannot make use of that land for human food production. So, but now you are doing it, you are using it, and you're converting something that humans cannot eat, which is cellulose, the world's most abundant biomass, by the way. You're using cellulose, converting that into some of the most valuable, nutritionally valuable food item there is. Okay, there's, there are very few food items that are more nutritionally wholesome than, uh, than beef, for example. So and the other thing you do is 
your cattle, um, of course, graze, and then they defecate and urinate. And uh, these excreta will add nutrients to a marginal soil. And that will then stimulate microbes in the soil to increase what's called soil carbon sequestration, which means pulling carbon out of the air and storing it in the soil. So I think a proper grazing management will increase uh, soil health and improve soil carbon sequestration. Mm-hmm. Sorry for the long answer, but it's a complex topic. No, and and, and I think that's I, I think it coincides with some other topics that we've had here on our show, and that is initiating and having uh, grazing practices on your ranch. So I think it goes hand in hand with what we've talked about previously. I don't want to go get too far into the weeds here, but but I do know that we have. Uh, ranchers that also have some element of farming in their operations as well. Can we touch on that? I know another might be another big subject, but can we kind of briefly talk about what can farming do to help their story? So crop farmers, they can definitely be part of a solution, but they can also be part of a problem. So in addition to methane, there's also nitrous oxide, which is uh, a very potent greenhouse gas. And also, not just is it potent, meaning it can trap a lot of, of heat, but it's also long-lived. It, it stays in the atmosphere for well over 100 years. So that gas um, is generally produced when you put nitrogen fertilizer into the ground, whether that's chemical fertilizer or animal manure, nitrous oxide can be produced. And we don't want that. We want to limit that. That's one way where crop agriculture can hurt the climate by releasing nitrous oxide. Mm -hmm. Um, But by applying nitrogen at times that plants actually need it, that you have plants on the the land as opposed to applying something uh, before plants are on the land. Uh, when you when you don't apply uh, fertilizer at agronomic rates, when you don't do it at, at agronomic rates, then you can get nitrogen losses like ammonia or nitrous oxide. If you do it well, if you apply fertilizers at the right time, at the right amount, then you minimize these unwanted nutrient losses. Um, there's one more thing that's important, and that is on the carbon side, Um, I already told you that soils are our best friend when it comes to carbon capture. About one-third of all human-caused greenhouse gases are captured and really locked away in soils. But this capture, this carbon capture, only only works if you don't disrupt the soil. If you till the soil, then all the carbon that was stored in the soil will come back out. So if you use low till or no till practices, then you will maximize the amount of carbon stored in the ground and you will keep it there. Mm-hmm. But if you till, if you till, then that carbon will be released back into the air. So tillage um, and, and the kind of tilling, uh, tillage system is really uh, determining whether or not your farm will be part of the solution, uh, namely by storing carbon in the ground or whether you will release that carbon that you previously uh, sequestered. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to go on the offense and what that would look like as we tell our story about the benefits of animal agriculture to our climate. We'll be back after this. 
coming to the Las Vegas Convention Center, December 8th, 9th, and 10th. It's the Working Ranch Expo, brought to you by Working Ranch Magazine. It's thousands of feet of space filled with the ranch industry's leading equipment manufacturers and suppliers, plus great speakers that will inspire and educate you. And we're in the hall just across from Cowboy Christmas. Register to attend at WorkingRanchExpo.com. It's Working Ranch Expo by day, NFR by night. We'll see you at the Expo. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills, and my guest is Dr. Frank Mitlerner, a professor and air quality specialist in the Department of Animal Science at UC Davis. Climate change in relation to ranching is our focus today. And Dr. Mitlerner, before we had started our interview, you shared with me about a recent interview that you had done with a YouTube channel called What I've Learned. And I went and looked them up, and they have over 1.7 million subscribers. But... The title of the episode where they interviewed you was Eating Less Meat Won't Save the Planet, Here's Why. But this 24-minute video, it's just one of the one of the forums that can be used to tell our story along with social media. Yeah, so uh, I would love it if your listeners could um, could watch that video and share it and um, and also become more active on social media because that's where... Uh, particularly the younger generation uh, gets the information and they are seeking uh, information from from people who actually who actually are the real deal they want to talk to farmers they want to hear from farmers from ranchers how things are operated in the real world um, we need to have people authentic people out there uh, sharing information with an interested public and uh, please don't be shy on Twitter and so on uh, but Engage. Look, I'm a professor at UC Davis. I don't have to be on Twitter. <laughs> in fact, in fact, when I first asked why I'm not on Twitter, I thought, gosh, you know, that's that's just stupid. You know, what can I say in 280 characters that's mm-hmm. meaningful? But you know what? I was silly for having waited so long because now I have anywhere between one to three million impressions a month, meaning that many people who check check on. Uh, on my Twitter handle and and see what I have to say and uh, that's a huge impact mm-hmm. to have. Mm-hmm. By the way, GHG Guru is my handle for those who are interested in in Twitter and I hope that's many of you. Yeah, and I'm just gonna say that again because uh, you have a great German accent and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so so it's it's uh, his Twitter is at GHG Guru. And yes. is, uh, is his Twitter handle there. But let's continue on with a little more of the solutions because l- let's start providing some optimism here for our industry. And, and what does a solution look like? And, and how do we put this together in what you think would be a good approach as we move forward? Yeah, look, um, you know, I live here in California. Originally, I'm from Germany. I live here in California. And we have ambitious goals, okay? For example, a methane goal of reducing methane by 40%, for zero, uh, and within the next 10 years. And so at first, our farmers went up in arms and uh, and said, there's no way that we can possibly achieve that. And uh, But little did they know that uh, the state had something up their sleeves, which was... Uh, financial incentivizing, financially incentivizing the reduction of methane. Um, so the state um, helped with capital investment, but also um, building a cap and trade system um, and uh, giving credits for people to convert uh, biogas, let's say from 
from manure into fuels. Okay, the conversion of biogas into fuels receives what's called low carbon fuel standard credits, and these credits are huge. Farmers doing this are now really receiving financial uh, support, and so much so that many of our farmers are jumping onto this. Um, I told you we have a 40% goal. Our farmers here in California have already achieved 25 of the 40. So we're over halfway there in reducing methane. And that makes me very hopeful because in addition to this manure-derived success of 25% reduction of methane, we also in this process here at UC Davis of developing enteric emission reduction uh, techniques and technologies. And that means uh, feed additives that reduce enteric methane. Enteric methane is that methane that's belched out from cattle, let's say. And um, by reducing that methane, we are also improving the performance of those cattle because now they are um, losing less energy via methane and that energy is then uh, used to, to perform better. So there are win-wins. That's what I'm trying to say here. There are win-wins and agriculture is in the midst of that. So we have turned something that was viewed as a liability into an asset. A moment ago, you touched on the fact of how important it was that we reach out through social media and that folks are wanting to hear an authentic source. Uh, your words were the real deal. And in addition to that, is there something else or someone else that we should be partnering with to help us in telling our story? I have to tell you, this is probably one of the greatest um weaknesses within agriculture that whenever you hear some news coming out it's in the form of some PR public relations campaign and people are largely immune to that what we are lacking is some real authenticity out there real people telling real stories about what they do day in day out that's what we are really lacking I got I got really tired of this and um, one and a half years ago decided yes I'm a faculty member here at UC Davis, and so I'm supposed to publish and teach students and so on. Of course I do that. Um, but in addition, I decided that I needed to do more. And so I established a center uh, here on campus at UC Davis called the CLEAR Center. And half of its mission is research. So I have postdocs and graduate students and so on doing research trials on various environmental issues around livestock. But the other half is communications. I'm probably one of the very few, if any, faculty members in the country who is hiring uh, journalists to work with me on uh, writing explainers on certain topics, uh, writing blogs, responding to media requests, mm -hmm. uh, putting out white papers or op-eds, um, you know, being very active on Twitter and on, on other uh, social media platforms like YouTube and so forth. So the CLEAR Center has really made a difference, and I'm very proud of that. Mm -hmm. Well, before you go, Dr. Mittlerner, do you have any final comments, some final instructions that you just want to make clear to our listeners here on the Working Ranch Radio Show? Well, I think that, um, first of all, it's really important to note that the vast majority of people in our country and throughout the world really appreciates animal source foods. Uh, it is a small minority that doesn't, but the small minority is very loud. So what I'm saying is um, 
we have a, an animal agricultural sector. We have farmers and ranchers who care. Um, these farmers and ranchers need to step up and they need to talk about what they do and how they do it. That's really, really important, okay? Um, do not be afraid of talking about animal welfare, to talk about how you um, protect your natural resources and with it, the environment. Um, you know, talk about how proud you are of what you produce. And, you know, show the pride of what you do and don't feel, don't feel defensive of what you do. Feel proud of what you do. Uh, I think this is really important. There are many people who feel so battered now that they just disengage when the opposite is what we need to do. The opposite is what we need to do. We need to show pride in what we do because you are proud of what you do. But um, you have to communicate that with an interesting, interested public. The problem right now is that everybody who doesn't like you is out there tooting, okay? It's out there uh, with, with a megaphone, okay? Mm -hmm. Being really, really loud and uh, obnoxious. And uh, who, is, who is missing on the scene are people like you. Mm -hmm. The public wants to hear from farmers and ranchers about how they produce the food. Those farmers and ranchers are not there. The few that are there are extremely effective. I gave a talk not too long ago, um, and after the talk, a guy came to me to shake my hand, and he introduced himself to me, and I said, well, I remember, I remember reading your name. Aren't you on Twitter? And he said, yes. And he told me what his Twitter handle is. And then I said, gosh, yeah, I know exactly who you are. You have something like 40,000 followers. He said, yes, I do. And I said, well, how do you do that? You know, that's amazing. That's really rare. And he said, one word, authenticity. And I said, well, I know what authenticity is, but how do you, what do you mean with that? And he said, um, I tell my story as a farmer the way it is. I don't give them some PR, uh, but I tell them the way it is. I tell them how I care day in, day out for my animals. And, uh, and I just have them partake in my life. And I said, I asked him, so can you give me an example? He said, absolutely. He said, the other day, my father and I were called by a herd, herdsman. Um, he was, he's a dairyman, um, to, to come out because um, there was a cow with dystocia, uh, difficulty giving birth. And uh, so we went out at 9 o'clock in the evening, and we tried to help that cow giving birth. And she just couldn't do it. And so we went in and tried to turn, uh, turn the calf around, uh, to get it out and we, we just couldn't do it at the end we had to pull her out and the calf was dead and in the process something went wrong with the cow and the mother the mother cow died as well so we spent eight hours pretty much all night trying to help that calf trying to help that cow and uh, i was totally frustrated my father was totally frustrated he said and then the next day i sat down and i wrote this up and i shared it on twitter you know, first a tweet and then, uh, you know, a little blog with that, explain what happened. And and he said, within a day, I had several hundred thousand people, several hundred thousand people uh, checking this out and so many people telling him, well, thank you so much for sharing. And that, that must have been heartbreaking and gut-wrenching and sorry you had to go through that. And thank you for sharing. People appreciate that level of authenticity in ways that you cannot even imagine. We always think we need to tell a good story. Mm -hmm. No, we don't need to tell a good story. We need to tell a story. 
because people understand there's no business out there that's just a good story. They want to hear an authentic story of you caring. And the people who do are very successful, and they make an impact. Well, Dr. Mittlerner, I do want to thank you for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. You are so welcome. I wish all of you good luck, and uh, I think you do have a great story to tell, and you need to be proud of telling it. And uh, don't wait for people like me to do it for you. I can help you. People like I can help you. But you have to be um, you have to be active as well. We can only win this together. Dr. Frank Mitlerner, professor at UC Davis, has been my guest on our episode today. And earlier he had mentioned the Clear Center at UC Davis as a resource for our industry to use as we work to tell our story. And if you're interested in finding more about the Clear Research Center, their website is www.clear.ucdavis.edu. Again, that website is clear.ucdavis.edu. Now, we also talked about a YouTube video, and if you want to find that one, you can just search in your YouTube the title, Eating Less Meat Won't Save the Planet, Here's Why, and that should take you to the video that is actually very informative. We'll keep it right here. When we come back, meteorologist Don Day joins us with a look at our long-term weather. Ranching has been in the Hardgrove family for generations, and they know the value of keeping a ranch in the family. Hardgrove Ranch Insurance provides pasture, range, and forage insurance to ranchers across the nation. PRF Insurance is a USDA-subsidized program that allows ranchers to insure against the risk of below-average rainfall. Hardgrove Ranch Insurance utilizes industry-leading custom software to provide the rancher with information they need to stay up-to-date and educated on their policy throughout the year. Hargrove Ranch Insurance supports ranchers for this generation, the next, and those yet to come. Contact Hargrove Ranch Insurance at 325-573-8975 for a free custom quote or online at hargroveinsurance.com. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. As we turn now towards our long-term weather, meteorologist Don Day joining us. And Don, let's jump right into it as the captain was talking about the Pacific Northwest and why they just have been lamb-blasted by wet weather that's been extremely destructive. And you have mentioned earlier to me that uh, they still look like they're kind of in the area of maybe continuing to see some more wet weather. But also we see now some pretty significant cold weather blanketing across the country as well. Yeah, and the reason for all those heavy rains is that contrast between the really cold air that's building up in those northern latitudes and the warmer waters that are off down to the south across the North Pacific. And that's just made for a very persistent, very strong jet stream wind that's just coming right off the Pacific, and then it's hitting the coast of British Columbia and Washington State and parts of northern Oregon. And literally, it's just a lot of moisture getting pushed in by strong jet stream winds against the higher terrain, the mountainous terrain there along the coast. It forces the air up, and it forces the rain and snow to form, and it has been very much focused, kind of stagnant, right into southwestern areas of British Columbia and in the the far northwest areas of the Pacific Northwest. In fact, there's a good chunk of western Washington state that's completely out of the drought now. Now, eastern Washington's a bit different, mm-hmm. not as wet over there. Uh, but that is something that is typical in a La Nina pattern that we're in. And uh, we can call it, sometimes folks call it, you know, the, the Pineapple Express or that mm-hmm. pipeline of 
moist air coming north of Hawaii into the West Coast. And right now, it's got another week. It is probably going to go another week or longer where you're going to hear about more rain in those areas that have been getting. Mm-hmm. So we've we've talked about this cold air that's sitting up over the northern part of the globe, and at some point it's going to start to drop south. And I think that's where you guys have been watching that to see there's still a little uncertainty as to when that is just going to happen, what that's going to look like. At some point it will, but that's where there's some uncertainty in, in the weather forecasting right now from a long-term basis. That is correct. As you change seasons, you go out of fall and into early winter, that transition is always very difficult for the computer model to, to get a good grip on. And then you add on top of that the extremes that are developing on either side of the jet stream, extreme cold up in the northern latitudes. And a lot of the western United States, central areas of the United States, have had a very mild November. Um, and so there hasn't been that big release of cold air yet. And eventually, the good analogy to use is it's just like a dam. Eventually, the dam breaks, and that will allow those colder temperatures to spill in from the north and get further south into the lower 48 states, a little bit further south into Canada. And we see that at least for another probably to 7, 10 days, the dam holds. After that, the dam's going to start to either get some leaks (laughs) and leak a little bit of cold air in or... Or you'll get a bigger break and it will spill mm-hmm. south into the region. And so folks need to be prepared for a change in the weather as we get into the month of December. But as you aptly pointed out, uh, the details on the correct dates and when exactly this will transpire is still something we've got to figure out. Meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather on our program here today. That's going to be all we have for our program. We thank you for joining us right here on Saturday and Sunday at 12 noon Eastern on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM, or on your podcast provider. Now, if you'd like to get a hold of me, please send me an email at justin.workingranch at gmail.com. The Working Ranch Radio Show has been a production of Working Ranch Magazine. Thanks for joining us this weekend. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.